So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue this study on faith out of the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 11. And I've got to tell you, as I've been thinking over this series in Hebrews 11 about faith, this last week I was reminded of some things concerning faith. As a matter of fact, there were some memories that stirred up in me about faith in my life as a child. And I've got to tell you, as I look back over my childhood, I was a a child, um, and, and I could fill in the blank with a lot of words there to describe it. Weird would be one of them, and you'll hear a little bit about that. But I was a child who had tremendous faith. I mean, tremendous Faith. As a matter of fact, there were several little snapshots of faith in my life throughout childhood that I thought of, I thought I might share with you. Would you like to hear some stories about faith I had as a child? Yeah, sit back, relax, kick off your shoes, it's going to be fun, okay? So I believed as a child, I, I believed that I could fly. Now, I'm not saying I thought I could fly, I was convinced that I could fly. As a matter of fact, I had seen Mary Poppins and what she was able to do with a simple umbrella. And I believed with all of my heart that I could do the same. So what I did is I grabbed an umbrella and I went to the deep freezer that my parents kept just outside the kitchen. It was one of those cabinet deep freezers, you know, that was about this high. And I climbed up on top of the deep freezer with the fullness of faith that only a child could muster. You know, the kind that Jesus applauded. I had that faith that I could fly, I stood on the edge of the deep freezer with my umbrella in hand, I opened it up. And and I'm telling you the truth. I believed I could fly before it was a song. And I stepped out on faith. And you know what happened next? I nearly broke my neck, okay? So I I plummet to the floor. It didn't deter me, my faith was undetermined. I, I didn't just believe that I could fly. I believed I could swim. Now that doesn't seem quite as crazy. The only thing was I'd never actually been in a swimming pool before. Uh, But I believed I could swim. I'd seen other people do it. Didn't look that hard. I believed I could swim so strongly that the first time my family actually visited a family that had a swimming pool, I jumped out of the car. I ran over to the pool. I didn't bother to wait for the rest of my family. I didn't bother to even change my clothes. Why do that? I didn't bother to go to the shallow end and easily make my way to the deep end. No, no, not a guy who could swim like I could. I went to the diving board and I ran as fast as I could and jumped off the diving board into the deep end. Here was the only problem with that deep and abiding faith that I could swim. I didn't actually know how to swim. So there in the middle of that backyard, my oldest brother jumped in at the nick of time and rescued me, pulling me to safety, and of course, has never let me forget it to this very day, right? Once I did learn how to swim, um, I actually believed, and I'm I'm telling you the truth, you can verify all this with my mom, Um, I believed I could walk on water. Now, 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 before you get ahead of me, I don't mean that I, I believed I could literally walk on water. That would be kind of ridiculous. I had seen a dolphin do one of those flipper things like that across. That's what I believed I could do. I was so convinced that I could do that on water. I promised my brothers, literally promised them, I can do this. I know I could do it. As a matter of fact, I was so convinced that I could do it, I literally couldn't remember whether or not I'd actually done it before. Like I would tell the story, like I think I may have done it once. I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, Maybe I didn't have faith. Maybe I was just a liar, but that's another story. (laughs) 
So we go to a pool the next time. My brothers, of course, remember I promised that I could do that dolphin across the top of the water thing. And so I walked to the edge of the pool, closed my eyes with a sense of deep determination and belief, and I stepped out in faith. Two things happened. I began to rapidly kick my feet like Flipper had done on the television show. And even more rapidly, I sank like a rock, right? Because it just, here's the story. I think there's a point to this. Obviously, I had a lot to learn about faith, right? Because faith is found directly by believing who God is and what he has promised, not who we think we are or what we've promised. It's, it's directly found in us believing what he's capable of doing, not believing what we're capable of doing. Like I had a lot to learn about faith. I get that. But as I've been praying about Hebrews 11, as we've been going through this chapter, I've got to tell you there is a thing that's kind of stirring in me that as much as I know I've had to grow in learning what real faith looks like, um, as we've been looking at Hebrews 11, I feel like the word of God, that the Holy Spirit has been stirring me to become a bit more like that kid. Because there have been a lot of times as I've grown up, as I've been your pastor, as I've had a wife and children of my own that I feel like as my, as my knowledge has grown, my faith has shrunk. That I feel like I know more than I actually do. And there's something in my heart that wants to be that kid again. But not believing in myself, believing in him. And not believing in my promises, but believing in his promises. And I've got to tell you, my prayer for you and for us this morning is that we would be the kind of people who just plain believe God. When it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense, when we're stepping out into the water and we've never done it before, that when God speaks, we would step. And this morning, my prayer is that what we see as far as faith giving us expression in Hebrews 11 this morning, I pray we become this kind of church. I pray we become these kind of people. I pray I become this kind of man. So look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're gonna see faith expressed in the life of Moses. And we're continuing where we left off last week. I'll actually start in verse 23, which was the first verse we taught last week. It says this, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that, he was a, a, that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We talked about all those verses last week. Last week, what we saw was this, that faith trusts God to be great in practical things things. Even when you're doing very practical things, faith trusts God to be great in them. And faith trusts God to be good even in painful things. When our choices make our life harder before it gets better, faith trusts God to be good. Faith trusts God to be great. Now this is where we'll pick up this morning. 
Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of God for us this morning. Here was the plan coming into Sunday today. I was gonna take those last two verses, show you two more principles of faith from the life of Moses. Since I've just preached this sermon in the first service, I've realized realized we're only getting through one, okay? So we're going to go through verse 27 and see this principle of faith. So here's the principle of faith we'll be talking about this morning. When we encounter threats, faith moves beyond what we fear. When we encounter threats in our life, faith moves beyond what we fear. I want you to read verse 27 again with that in mind in the life of Moses. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, here's the story. This is a a section in the life of Moses that's occurring chronologically as Hebrews 11 is unfolding for us. We know that it started with his birth last week. He grew into a a young adult or a 40-year-old man who broke with his identity as son of Pharaoh's daughter and became identified as a a part of the the, the children of Israel, as a Hebrew, as a, a Jewish young man. And so he broke from the identity he had in the royal family. Well, we're picking up in that chronology to the time when he leaves Egypt. Now, some of you may have this question. Didn't he actually leave Egypt twice? And if you know your Bibles, you know the answer is yes. The first time he left Egypt was when he killed the Egyptian and he, he fled to the backside of Midian. The second time he left Egypt was when he came back to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go and then he led millions of Jews in what is called the Exodus out of Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years heading toward the promised land. Well, the question that comes to our minds is which event is verse 27 talking about. And rather than going through all of the details of what I believe in this, I want to encourage you, study your Bibles, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but I believe that this is referring to the very first time that he left. Chronologically, as you read it, it reads in verse 27 like it's a continuation of the choice he made. He chose not to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He killed this Egyptian, which forever marked him as part of God's God's people and not an Egyptian himself, and he moved into what God had for him by leaving Egypt and living for 40 years away from Egypt. But one of the things that you find is that whether you choose that first time he left or the second time he left, either one of those scenarios includes a pretty interesting thing in in light of verse 27. Both of those scenarios include moments where he is marked by fear. So the very first time, Exodus 2, after he's killed the Egyptian and someone in the Hebrews finds out about it, Exodus chapter 2 says that when one of the Hebrews says, hey man, who made you a prince over us, a lord over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? It says that he became afraid because the thing had been found out. 
And then Pharaoh finds out and Pharaoh gets angry and Moses leaves. The second time around, when he has to go back into Egypt in order to lead God's people out, there are two instances where you see Moses expressing what looks to be fear. The first one is at the burning bush. When God shows up and he says, hey, go back to Egypt. Do you remember what Moses says? Sure, I'm on board. He doesn't say that, does he? He gives all these fear responses as to why he can't do it. I'm weak, I can't lead, I can't talk, nobody knows me. If I go back there, Pharaoh's gonna kill me, it's gonna be awful, he's the most powerful man. He'll never let me do it, it's not gonna work. All of these fear-based responses were part of his heart. As a matter of fact, when he goes back into Egypt and he actually goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go, remember, Pharaoh doesn't say, okay. He says, no, I'm not gonna do it. He gets angry, right? Well, Moses has another fear response, he has this free out moment when Pharaoh makes the work harder for the children of Israel and Moses goes back to God and he literally says this. I think it's in Exodus chapter five or six. He says this. He says, why have you done this evil to me? Why did you send me here? For you have not delivered your people at all. You just hear this fear welling up inside of Moses. So you have this event, and it's, it's either one. If you choose the first time he leaves or the second time he leaves, what you find is there is fear that starts to well up all around Moses. So the question needs to be this, okay? If both of those instances include times where Moses is being confronted by fear, then why does Hebrews 11, verse 27 say, by faith he left, not being afraid of the anger of the king? It's kind of a weird way to say it. Because either way, whether it's the first or second time he leaves Egypt, there's fear that's part of it. And here's the deal, what you see bearing out in the word of God is this. In the face of threat, Moses moves beyond fear by the power of faith. Here's what I mean by that. Both times he's confronted by fear, but he's not controlled by fear. As a matter of fact, I believe verse 27 is saying this, though he was confronted with things that were fearful, he wasn't controlled by that fear. It wasn't because of fear that he left Egypt. It was because of faith that overrode his fear. And guys, you need to hear that this morning. When we encounter threats, faith moves beyond what we fear. And you need to make no mistake, you will encounter threats. As a matter of fact, I would believe almost every person under the sound of my voice, and I don't know of any exceptions, are encountering threats in your life right now. There are threats today for things that will rob you of your joy. Today there are things that are threatening to rob you of your peace. There are things that are threatening to rob you of your hope, of your contentment, of your patience. It's called Courtney Parkway, people. Robbing you of patience. There are things that are threatening your marriage. You know that. Things that are threatening your family, your children. Guys, all of you, whether you see it or know it or not, are experiencing things that are threatening your very faith itself. Life is filled with threats of various kinds. And when you come up against those threats, you need to recognize every threat you have 
is accompanied with some kind of fear. That's part of it. And you can either give in to your fear or you can move forward beyond your fear through faith. And that's exactly what Moses does. Neither time does he allow himself to be paralyzed by fear. He, he, he goes out into the wilderness the first time for 40 years, even though he'd never been in a wilderness before, even though we don't think Bear Grylls taught him survival skills before he went into the wilderness. He, he went out. Not knowing, in a sense, what it would be like. He didn't go out running away from Pharaoh. He went out running to God himself. He didn't look to Pharaoh and beg him for mercy. He looked to God and expected him to be merciful. And guys, here's why I want to tell you this. So many of us have grown up in a Christianity, in a church world, where we have carried around misguided notions of what it looks like to live by faith in Jesus. Some of us have these flannel graph images of a life of faith, and we imagine that living by faith must look like constant boldness. It must look like constant courage. It means unwavering conviction and strength. We've we've come to the place where we actually believe that a life of faith means A life that never experiences fear whatsoever. And because that's what we believe, when fear pops up, we automatically must believe we don't have faith. We're not living by faith. And friend, I just want to tell you this. That's just not true. That's not the life of faith you find in the Bible. Living by faith, and I want you to hear me on this, living by faith does not mean fear won't confront you. Living by faith does not mean fear won't confront you. It means fear won't control you. Do you hear that? Fear won't control you. Living by faith means that when fear comes to the door of your heart. You press forward into who God is. You press forward into what God has promised to do. So you move beyond what you fear into what God has for you by faith. That's what faith does with every threat that comes to your life. And we see that's how Moses lived. Notice what it says in verse 27 again. By faith he left Egypt. The reason he left was not because he was afraid of the anger of the king. It was an expression of faith. For, and here's how that occurred, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Stop right there. It says he endured, he persevered, he took a step and then took another step and took another day and another day. He just kept pressing forward day in and day out in the face of all the things that he could have been afraid of. And rather than succumbing to the fear, he just kept pressing into God. And it says, it says how he did it. It says it was as seeing him who is invisible. That word as literally means like. The like as of a simile that you guys learned in school. It says that Moses endured because he lived like he was seeing God. I want you to notice what it says. Even though God was invisible. You guys notice that? He lived like he was seeing God even though God wasn't visible. 
Brothers and sisters, that is a great word for us. That's the life of faith. Faith confronts fear and is not controlled by it. Faith moves beyond fear by living like you see God even when you don't see God. And much of our life, guys, is gonna be spent in seasons and times that feel like a wilderness, that feel like we look around at a world and wonder, where is God? What's he doing now? In the life of Moses, it meant there were times where he just couldn't see God. He was walking through a dry desert. He was sitting down by a well, not knowing where he'd go next. It looked like the moments where he remembered what he did, but he didn't go back on leaving Egypt. He didn't run back to Pharaoh. He persevered because he lived like he could see God, even though he couldn't see God. As a matter of fact, the first time Moses leaves Egypt, we have every indication that he doesn't see God move again for 40 years until a bush starts burning in the wilderness. But even though he couldn't see God, he lived like he could see God, how? Well, I'll tell you how. Because God had made promises to his people that Moses knew. As a matter of fact, you may not know this, but Moses is the person God used to write the book of Exodus and Genesis and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I think I can name more books of the Bible, but I'm pretty sure those are the ones that Moses wrote. Genesis is a book filled with promises that God made. Moses knew those promises. God's God used him to write him down. God had promised that he was going to deliver his people from from Egyptian slavery. He promised Abraham that in the book of Genesis. He promised Abraham in the book of Genesis that he would give them a land that would be their very own. Not that they would be slaves in it, but they would be owners in it. He promised that he would bless them and make them a blessing to all the nations, not by being slaves, but by being men and women who were free and gave freedom to others as well. He promised that he would send a rescuer who would save God's people from sin and undo the curse that sin had brought undo the slavery of sin itself. Moses knew those promises. And listen to me, even though Moses couldn't see God at work, he believed that God was working and doing everything he said he would do. That's what it means to live by faith. He lived like he could see God through his promises, even though he couldn't see God through his circumstances. Let me give you an illustration of why that kind of looks like. Uh, There were times when I was a child, and I've already told you some of those times, but there were times when my dad would leave the house. As a matter of fact, there were times when dad would go on trips. He went all over the world as a pastor and preacher. There were times where he would leave and he would tell us where he was going. He'd tell us what he was doing. He'd give me this, this, this long spiel about what his plan was. I remember the time when dad went to Northern Ireland and he, he spent a lot of time among the believers there in Northern Ireland and he actually spent a lot of time with a friend of his who was a, uh, a political figure, Ian Paisley, who was a, a leader in Northern Ireland. And he told me all of these stories about his friend, Ian Paisley, 
crazily and about what it was like to live and, and go to Northern Ireland. But when dad left, I, I knew there were certain things he was doing. I knew he was flying on a plane. I know he was going over there. I know he'd be preaching. I know he was spending time with some friends, spending it at their house, having fun. I knew lots of things he was doing. But I've got to tell you, at any given time, if you said, is your dad off the plane yet? I'd have to say, I don't know. I know he will be, but I don't know if he is. If you said, what city's your dad in right now? I'd have to say, I don't know exactly. I I know he's in another city, but I, I don't know which one it is right now. And over and over and over again, you could ask me questions about what my dad was doing on those trips, but I didn't know everything, even though I knew what he had told me. And here's the story. When dad left, he always told me he would be coming back. He was going to come back home at the end of his trip. And even though I didn't know all the details, I could visualize my dad sitting on that airplane. I could visualize my dad standing in a church preaching. I could visualize my dad sitting in the living room doing what he does best, telling stories over and over and over again. You wonder where I get it from. I I could visualize him getting in a plane and coming home. And because, listen, Because I knew dad was coming back and I knew dad was coming back and would see me, normally I didn't run amok when dad left. And what I mean by that is I didn't live like dad had fallen off the face of the earth and was never coming back again. Sometimes I did, but most of the time I didn't. I lived like he'd be around. Why? I believed him. And guys, there's a very similar thing that happened in the life of Moses and in our lives as well. Though we can't see everything that God is doing, and though God doesn't tell us everything he's doing, God has told us what he's doing. He's told us what he's doing, even if he's not told us everything. Let me give you some things he said. God has said, I'm preparing a place for you to live with me forever. He said he's making you more and more like Jesus and he's working everything in your life for that good. He's told you that he's building his church and advancing his kingdom and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He's told us that he's saving people from every nation and tribe and people group on earth. He's told us that he's setting up kings and kingdoms. He's taking down kings and kingdoms. He's working as a ruler in the affairs of this world. He's told us that he's supplying all of our needs and responding to all of our prayers and making all things new, including us. And he's told us he's not leaving us and forsaking us ever. He hasn't told us everything, guys, but he's told us some things. And what faith does is it endures in moving beyond all the things we fear by living like we can see God even in the moments when we don't see him. And I've got to tell you, more than me teaching you about this, church, you're teaching me about this. I've had conversations with so many people in this church family who are in the the exact same situation as one another. There There are dozens, I would say hundreds of people in this church family whose parents are moving into advanced years and dealing with very serious issues near the end of their life. And as I hear you guys describe what it's like walking through that, I hear in your descriptions all kinds of threats 
that come with the challenges that you face, all kinds of threats that could potentially paralyze you with fear. I hear many of you describe the threat against your joy because you have to watch your parents move closer and closer toward death itself. And that threat to your joy could cause you to fear because you look out over your future in the next couple years that you know will include a certain kind of grief and it paralyzes you with fear or tempts you to be paralyzed with fear. You, You tell me about the threat against your peace because you have to face decisions that none of us feel prepared to make about our mom and dad. You've gone from being child to parent of your parents And that threat against your peace challenges you. It causes you to be tempted to fear because you look around your circumstance and you wonder, man, what kind of conflict could happen in my family as we have to make these decisions? What's it gonna be like to have to actually tell a doctor to make this end of life decision for my mom and dad? And that threat poses a fear in you. There's a threat against your contentment. Many of you say, hey, I am now in the middle of the years where I should be happiest because I'm welcoming my own grandchildren into this world, but I'm tempted to be afraid that I'm gonna spend the next few years of my grandchildren's life having to choose between caring for my parents or caring for my grandchildren. And I hear you guys talk about it, and those threats, guys, are real, and the fears that come along with them can be overwhelming, But I gotta tell you, you are teaching me about this lesson because you are not controlled by your fears even when you're confronted by them. I've heard so many of you, I've heard so many of you in moments when fear could overcome you, when fear could control you, look to the promises of God and move beyond your fear. Some of you have said, I believe that God promises wisdom because he does. And I've asked him for wisdom, and so I'm not gonna sit and worry about all these difficult decisions. I've asked him for wisdom, and I believe he's making me wise, so I'm gonna move forward beyond that fear and trust he's making me wise. You believe God when he says that to live is Christ and to die is gain, so you're not paralyzed by the future when your parents who are believers are nearing death's door. You know glory awaits them, so you believe those promises and you move beyond the fear into the glory of Jesus because you anticipate the outcome of death itself because of Christ. Just this morning, I have received two text messages from two different families I have been walking with who are in the exact same situation. Both of them told me, mom has gone home. One family met heaven and they are rejoicing because of Jesus. The other family meant a house on Merritt Island and they're needing grace to walk through the rest of her life with her. And in those moments, both of those circumstances are encountering threats to joy, peace, hope, contentment, and faith itself. And the reality is this, faith moves beyond what we fear because faith believes what God has said even when we can't see what he's doing. And so let me ask you this. What threats are in your life today? So let me ask you this way, okay? What is the number one thing that's threatening to take away your joy today? 
What's the number one thing that's threatening to take away your peace or your hope or your faith or your family or your marriage? What's the number one thing that's threatening to rob you? What fears are coming into your life as a result of that threat? And even more important than those questions is this, what has God promised you? Are you willing to believe him? Are you willing to move forward in your life beyond the fears that are confronting you by trusting God so fear doesn't control you? Guys, that is the Christian life. And some of you, your greatest fear is something you may or may not live with every day. And it's a valid fear. It's that you would live and die without God. And God gave us Jesus so that he could deal with our sin. You see, the validity of that fear is that all of us have sinned against God and our sin has separated us from God. And if we live and die in our sin, we will spend eternity separated from God. But God made a way for us to be reunited with him through the work of Jesus. Guys, Jesus lived a life you could not live, a perfect life that was sinless before God the Father. And he died the death you should have died as a payment for your sin. He was buried and rose again three days later so that if you would trust in Jesus, the Bible has this promise to extinguish your greatest fear that whoever will call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you'll place your faith and trust in Jesus, guys. The promise of God is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And though you may not see him now, one day you will live with him face to face. Don't Don't leave this place without trusting in Jesus. But before we go, would you bow your heads and just respond to this in your own life? What are those areas in your life that are threatening your joy, your contentment, your peace, your hope, your faith? What fears are confronting you are are threatening to even control you to paralyze you would you identify those by the help of the spirit and then ask but what has God promised me what does the Bible say about the promises of God Will you believe? Father, I want to praise you that life is filled with threats. And Lord, those threats and the fears that come with them are the very things that provide the opportunity for us to trust you and see your power to trust you and experience your presence. Father, I praise you that the moments that look like they're the ones that would destroy us are the moments that you use by your grace through faith to deliver us. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I don't know exactly where all of them are. Father, I know all of them are being confronted by things that are threats to their joy and peace and hope and faith itself. I know that marriages and families, 
parents with their children and children to their parents. Father, are loaded with the temptation to fear. And I'm asking you, God, would you wipe away those fears? Lord, would you give us faith to believe you, take you at your word? That when we encounter those threats today, that by faith we would move beyond what we fear as we trust you, as we believe what you've said, as we live like we see you, even in the moments where we honestly just don't see you. Let us know that you're there. Lord, we love you and we bless you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.